welcome to the Overthinking It Breaking Bad Season 5, Episode 11 Recap, Confessions. We're really excited to have you, whether you're here watching us on YouTube, whether you're watching us on streaming, whether you're listening to this on the audio channel. Very thrilled to have you with us tonight. I, as those of you watching on video can see, am sort of mid-move in a new apartment, a new domicile. As uh, uh, hoping to spray Heisenberg on yellow spray paint along the back wall, just to add to effect. Uh, but you'll get to see the lighting and, and setup situation here improve in my little uh, recording, little recording area in the future. Uh, so yeah, I'm here with some panelists that are dear friends of mine and Breaking Bad enthusiasts. Uh, why don't we say hello to them? Uh, John, John Parrish, how are you doing today? What up? Hello, everybody. Good to see you as always. Yeah, definitely. Awesome, awesome. And uh, and Shana Malowski. Hello. And hey. I'm all- also oh. going to drink some water because I'm thirsty. Yay. Yay, that's awesome. I should have brought some water. Mine, mine isn't water. <laughs> Stay hydrated or boozed up either way. Or just barricade your doors with, with boxes and they'll get up a precaution. <laughs> Whatever you need to do to block out the world, whether it's booze or actual physical impediments. No, oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, geez. It's like I, I, I wish I had some of that guacamole they made right at the table to cheer me up right now. You know, I know. I bet it was really good. Have you had that before? Places that do like fresh guac, like they mix it for you live. There's there's a couple places in Boston that do it, and it's usually really good. Yeah, yeah, Olay over in Min Square. I'm yes. doing product placement today. We got Guinness over here for the boxes. We got yeah, Olay and Min Square. Min Square, yeah, they'll fresh do it. Guacamole, Always good stuff. Like. And uh, the waiters, extra awkward. <laughs> you got to do that. You got to do that. I love that scene so much, definitely. All right, so confession. So this episode, um, other than, of course, kicking off with the charm and splendor of Mexican chain restaurants, uh, I figured um, a good place to start would be how this episode is consists of a bunch of people recounting and remembering, uh, even, you know, for those of you who saw The World's End, showing a little selective memory, but recounting and remembering things that have happened across the run of, across the, run of the show, often differently from how they remember them the first time, or uh, maybe differently than how they happened. Yeah, um, it's... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I, I mean, the, the one that really that stuck out to me is kind of framing this whole... Because uh, I like to pick sort of a scene to kind of get into and crack the show, uh, the episode a little bit, is uh, is Todd recounting the events of the train robbery at the diner yeah. to uh, Uncle Jack, uh, and of course like leaving out some key things like <laughs> got a child, and also like adding some some real excitement to the jump off of the top of the train, yeah. uh, which perhaps wasn't as much of a big deal. Uh, John, it sounds like you're champing at the bit to get after this one. No, I mean, yeah, the the I was I had I had in my notes for the episode like cold open question mark because it wasn't it wasn't obvious to me how, you know, the cold open usually reveals in miniature the theme of the entire episode. So it wasn't obvious to me where we're going with that. Uh, as we go on, it seemed it, it seemed a little clearer that the the theme of the episode, I mean, the episode's called Confession. So obviously you're, you're looking in that direction. Uh, but the theme of the episode seemed pretty clearly to me to be the false reveal. The idea of of feigning a sort of revelatory nature, feigning a confession of sorts, um, not in order to open yourself and make yourself vulnerable, but to you know, in the in the words of I think that it's either a Groucho Marx or a, or a Mark Twain quote, uh, or it's attributed to one of them. The idea of faking sincerity, you know, sincerity being the most important thing. Fake that, and you've got it made. So I mean, the we have points t- of being earnest, even. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. So we have Todd, you know, impressing his his uncles or his contacts with this story, in which obviously he leaves out this bit. There's 
uh, Walt confessing to Walt Jr. or Flynn that his cancer is back, which, you know, he obviously elides some details there. There's, uh, there's Hank and what he has or hasn't revealed to the DEA. And of course there's the, the big confession that sort of, uh, is the centerpiece of the episode. So it's, and, and countless other examples. And I don't want to occupy, you know, the entire space there. Someone else, please jump in. But the idea, that idea of the false reveal, that idea of people realizing that, okay, sincerity, vulnerability is going to get me what I want. So let me, let me fake it. Let me fake that and, and get to it. And, as we've seen towards the end of the episode, you know, faking it will only get you so far. Mm. Yeah, I think this episode, um, I really loved uh, the cold open. I really love the whole thing. Let's just get that yeah. out there. I thought it was a great episode. Mm-hmm. I, I holy moly at least three times. There are many exclamation points in my notebook. Gotta say. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> um I think in the cold open, well, I mean, Breaking Bad has done this before, but the cold open was really meta, um, where, again, they're making references to other TV shows or um, to Burt Reynolds um, or and Marie watching, uh, what do you call it, Walt on the television. It's very fascinating <laughs> to me how they keep uh, referencing TV. So I think there's something to that. And I was wondering um, if you guys picked up on that and had anything to say about it. Yeah. I mean, uh, similar to... Or to not. Uh, or another thing that happened in the cold <laughs> open. <laughs> yeah, 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 go go for it. Are we lagging? Uh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, what's so another thing in the cold open? Go, go for it. Go for it, Shane. It's, it's, your, it's your... You have the conch. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm very, I'm very sorry about that. Oh, no worries. No oh, worries. okay. So um, the other part was when um, Uncle Jack went into the bathroom and to clean the blood off his shoes, which is a nice little callback to, I guess, the shoes and the blood from last week. Yeah. Um, and in that moment in the bathroom, he's like, what the hell happened to this country? The downfall of America is that uh, kids aren't taking enough risk. We need to be more like the guys on TV jumping off trains. Um, And I really love that he was making a reference to a kid um, wearing a helmet on a bike because it was such um, a great callback to the kid on the dirt bike in the story that we didn't get in the story from Todd. Right. Um, I thought that was such a great moment. It's all. It's also. It also touches again on the, on the recurring theme the show gives us of people looking to media in some way to inspire what they think they should do with their lives, what they think, you know, it, what they think of ideal masculinity or something like that. There's the. There's the very trenchant. Absolutely. There's a very trenchant scene from, uh, you know, last season where Walt and Flynn are watching Scarface and they're both cackling in, in joy over it. And you can see some of the inspiration from where. And if more Walt does what he does. And when Todd is recounting the story, he's describing it. I mean, he's not he's not calling any particular movies, but obviously there's the Hooper reference that they, they bring with Burt Reynolds. And he's he's clearly trying to pitch it sort of like a you know classic heist movie. Like, oh, it was just like a heist movie. It was great, but we were in it. It was live. I was living up to this thing that we've all seen on screen. That makes me awesome because what we saw on screen was awesome. And I was doing a thing like that, right? Because I'm tapping into the zeitgeist, right, guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it's the idea, it's, it's that eagerness of Tobbs to, you know, step in and, you know, 
adapt this role that, that has been exposed to him through pop culture, through media. Like we all, we all want to be what we've seen on TV. That's, that's the height of success to be, to be famous, to get on TV, to get in the movies, etc. And of course, Walt appearing on TV in this episode in the form of a video confession. I mean, I think there's a, there's a pretty obvious reason they, they filmed it that way. They could have, they could have structured the episode in another way such that Walt drops that bombshell at the dinner table. But the reason they did it that way is because it's important that it's important that they see Walt on TV. They think of Walt as a character portraying a particular role. And they start to think of like, all right, how would, how would this story play out? If a lawyer saw this, if the DEA saw this, if channel five news saw this, how would this story play out to someone who doesn't know everything we know? It struck yeah. me also as very super villainous, like the guy on the, the head on the big screen. Yes, I mean, yes. I, I have not liked Walt for a very long time, and he's killed children and uh, poisoned them and so forth. So he's not a good guy. But for whatever reason, this episode, he made me angrier than I think I've ever been angry with a TV character. And he really seemed like he was like a Bond villain almost. Very smart Bond villain, but... Um, just over-the-top villainous, which I is great. I love it. Something, there's something particularly despicable about uh, about pinning your villainy to the hero, about somehow putting the hero in a position where not only do they fail to get their goal, but they are they are viewed as the villain. They're they're completely subverted in the classical trope, because you know at the very least you know a hero who a hero who falls short of his goal at least has the virtue of tragedy behind him you know that that greek element whereas a hero who is mistaken for a villain you know doesn't even have that he's he's lost everything he becomes you know wretched and without redemption one element of walt's confession that i really thought was interesting and compelling was and that relates to a lot of the other things that were happening in the episode was when the camera was was very zoomed in on the television yeah. and you could see the the blurry pixels and the operation of the tv showing the sort of small parts of him almost like the image of his face was struggling to hold itself together yes uh, and, and this to me was related to the way that his story uh, his confession story was peppered with uh, these events that had actually happened, which yeah. was dangerous, which is it had like had little pieces of the truth of the past, you know, what one year, five years, however long it's been, you know, obviously not in five years. It's like still 2009. It's been two years, right? Because he goes oh, from one, one year, one, one year. Like, like, yeah, they mentioned, that, they mentioned that a couple times in the episode. It's been like one. Yeah. One year. Yeah. Yeah. It was over that time. There've been all these things that have punctuated what's happened. And, you know, last episode, it was sort of about, well, the first episode of the season was sort of like, you know, these things have come into our lives, the way we see them. That last episode was like, okay, let's like really look at them. And by looking at them, that's going to affect what we have to do. And then here we get to the point where we have the assumption of a sort of continuity and narrative fluidity in the histories of our lives, or in the remembrances of these events that we encounter and the people that we are and become. Um, Mm -hmm. But this is sort of a villainous way some ways more hostile than others, some ways, you know, funnier than others, to show the gaps and cracks between the events and between the, the things that you can see and identify that happen uh, that formulate people's personalities and experiences. And it's, yeah. it's almost, almost Blade Runner-ish, where it's like your memories are who you are, but are your memories really yours? Uh, and like, to what extent are they true? It's kind of postmodern more than anything else. It's like... Yeah, um, absolutely, okay. because... Um... 
Um, it's also a callback to the confession that he made in season one, which if you compare and contrast, you can clearly, this is like the most clear cut uh, sense of, uh, what was it, Mr. Chips to Scarface uh, transition. Uh, yeah. Like you can definitely see, just compare them side by side. And that's basically the show in a nutshell, right? Yep. And there were other things in this episode that, that harken back to things that happened previously. Like when the tarantula walked across the sand yep. in front of Jesse, and that yeah. was like a memory of that past thing that happened. And also I thought when Todd, Todd being in the diner with Uncle Jack, mm-hmm. uh, and that's sort of like a future shadowing. You know, well, I mean, like, yeah, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, that's that's the same waitress who serves Walt breakfast in the cold open at the beginning of the season, right? Like, which is a year in the future-ish from this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it the same diner? I don't know if it's the same diner. I uh, I, I, I don't know if it was the same diner either. I'm pre- I I unfortunately didn't have time to check before we jumped on, uh, and I don't know if IMDb would be that detailed, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's the same waitress. Which I, I I'm betting that it is, just because you know, given everything else we've seen in the show, if they had the opportunity to to tie that together, they would. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I, I, um. I mean, talking about talking about sort of these these sort of uh, like a tent post, a tent post was like spike. Like I'm thinking about like spikes in in railroad tracks. If these moments yeah. are kind of like spikes that have been hammered into the railroad tracks of this train that's heading, right? Mm-hmm. And and so um, you know we sort of are looking back and we're seeing the spikes of the things that we remember. And one of Walt's nefarious things he does is you know manipulate those things. And though everybody is manipulating them a little bit or a lot, you know, um, you know certainly we get. Um, from Jesse, in his big realization, all all of a sudden, all of these little pieces that have not seemed connected, they come together. They're connected. It's like yeah. the same sort of sort of dissociation that Walt makes when he's sort of ruining Hank, when he's defeating Hank. Essentially, I mean, maybe Hank will figure something out, but yeah. when he's sort of playing his trump card against Hank, where he disassembles the events of the past and and reassembles them in in a perverse way that that removes all power from Hank. You know, that's what he did to Jesse by sort of disassembling and reassembling the events that had happened around poisoning bra. And here Jesse has sort of like pulled it apart and put it back together. And the railroad spike analogy was bad. (laughs) I liked it. Oh, good. Thanks. I appreciate it. It's like the genie in the bottle, which you decant and you don't rub. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, there are some limits. We, sometimes we rely on mixed metaphor. Yeah. Um, But yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, should, should we go over, just, I mean, I know a bunch of people on the internet have written about it, but just so people know, should we go over the realizations that Jesse was having as he was figuring out what was happening to him? Sure. So, so he seems to have realized, and I think I brought this up in the in the first recap of the season, and at the, I mean, at the time, you guys, you guys did have me convinced that it was actually the Lilies of the Valley, but I, I think, and I, I'm, I'm not saying this to like talk, well, a little bit to to talk myself up. Um, I think my sense of the timeline was accurate in that, given that he confessed, he confessed to it. I think, you know, Saul did have Huell steal Jesse's rice and cigarette and use that to poison Brock. Uh, and, and I mean, that's the realization he comes no, to in this episode. Bro- Brock was poisoned by the lilies of the valley. That's what the doctor said. But Huell did steal the rice and cigarette from Jesse. And that's the part of it that gets a little bit confusing. Also in the hospital, didn't the doctor say it wasn't ricin, but it was sort of ricin-like, which also suggests that it was the plant and not actual ricin. But all this uh, evidence, it's just like a bunch of little pieces of circumstantial evidence that just finally in 
one moment just congeal and Jesse's like, yes, this is it. So for example, I believe back in the day, he actually thought um, that Walt had poisoned uh, Brock, right? The Brock, kid. Yeah. Um, and, but Walt talked him out of it. Um, yeah. So, and then just seeing Huel, uh, you know, take the drugs off him again. I don't know. It just, yeah. and also he knows now that Walt is a liar, which yeah. he didn't know previously. I think, I think ultimately the, the point is that the specific timetable of events doesn't matter. It's what the witnesses to it believe happened that's going to cause things to happen. Like, right. even, if, even if Jesse has some of the slight details in the timetable wrong, he's still apparently going to burn Walt's house to the ground. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so just to quickly go over it. So what happens is that, you know, Walt needs Jesse to be on his side to go after Gus. So he engineers this idea that, um, that Jesse's going to think that Gus is framing Walt for killing Brock. Or for right. poisoning Brock. So uh, Walt has Huel steal the rice and cigarette from Jesse so that Jesse has a reason to suspect Walt. Uh, but then when, when Walt he sort of talks with Jesse and manipulates him around it, right, and then he also puts the rice and cigarette in his Roomba, right, so that he can become exonerated, you know, what, Jesse has already gotten worked up. Jesse is already kind of looking for vengeance. He's in a pliable state of mind. And when Walt is able to sort of turn that, he uses the rice and cigarette as a way of sort of generating outrage from Jesse, generating okay. anger. And then he, he, because it wasn't correct, you know, when he suggests, oh, maybe he took it from your locker, you know, like maybe Gus or Victor took it from your locker or whatever. Um, then when he redirects it at Gus, Jesse's already sort of worked up and confused and goes for it. And the exoneration of Walt uh, is kind of what lends him credibility in the situation because Brock wasn't poisoned with the rice and cigarette. The rice and cigarette's still on the wall, right? Yeah. Like the rice and cigarette we see in the cold open to, uh, to the first episode of this half season, right? When he drills it out of right. the, out of the wall. Right. And also when he puts it back in, you know, a year earlier. Yeah, and so this, I don't think Jesse, Jesse doesn't necessarily realize, oh, you know, he used Lily of the Valley in a juice box to poison Brock. He just knows that he was lied to. Right. So, yeah. So, and, and that's enough at this point to sort of, to turn him around, uh, in that shot in front of all those tombstones, right. And like the memories, all the people that have, that was a really cool location where the red van pulled up. Yeah. Where do we know where that is in, in Albuquerque? Yes. It is a dam. Um, okay. there's, there's a dam up there. Uh, and, and, uh, the purpose of those slats of stone is to prevent, uh, like rainwater runoff. And it's a sort of like hold, hold against erosion. Cool. Um, yeah, and also to make it difficult to walk up the hill and to go up the dam, <laughs> which they don't want people to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely oh, preserves the water table. Should we? Um, important. <laughs> uh, should we also point out that uh, we totally called it for uh, uh, Jesse wanting to go to Alaska? I mean, we were a little off. I think uh, <laughs> in the last podcast we were saying that um, what the uh, New Mexico was purgatory and. Mexico by going down is hell. So we uh, conjectured <laughs> yes. that someone would go up to heaven in Canada, but Alaska <laughs> close enough. So yeah, it, go he, us. I mean, he just, he just kept going farther. Yeah. Like su supra heaven as it were. He, Do you think that they just took a compass <laughs> one point in Albuquerque and extended one out to like Belize and then like saw what was equidistant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does that All work? right, it was Belize. Uh, excuse me. Yes. Uh, no, no, in Mexico, it went Mexico because because Huel wanted to go to Mexico. Yeah. Huel wanted to go to Mexico, and then like Mike and then Chile died. at the bottom. Yeah, Chile is like the deepest reaches. That's where Gus Fring chews on uh, 
Tito Salamanca, you know, like in the, in the river of ice. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So, so to touch, to touch a little more on the idea of, of false, of false. Well, actually, no, uh, before I get back on the false real thing, there is the, I guess the second, it's not even a, it's not even a theme, but it's sort of a, I guess, recurring motif is the idea of who we can speak in front of. Because the episode begins in the cold open with, you know, the, the neo-Nazis in the diner and the waitress comes up at one point and there's a lot of very obvious visual and physical business about her, you know, asking them anything else, getting them the check, etc. And I wasn't sure what this was at first. I thought, well, like, is she nervous around them? Because they're all very clearly criminals. Like one has knuckle tattoos, one has a giant swastika on the side of his neck. But, uh, but no, she seems like no more nervous around them than like around any other bunch of patrons. Like, are they checking her out? I was like, maybe, but the camera doesn't really linger on, doesn't really enforce us that way. Uh, it wasn't until it wasn't until the the second you know scene in the restaurant, which is obviously the big conversation between Walton Schuyler and and Marie and Hank, uh, where the waiter keeps coming and going. It and uh, and later in the car wash when when Walt shows up at the very end of the episode. Uh, it's the idea, and of course later when they're in the desert and he asks uh, Saul, who's been through them, who's been with them through everything, to go take a walk and give them privacy for a bit. It's the idea of what of what we can say in front of a crowd, like what we can say in front of strangers. Mm-hmm. Like you know, we have we have our business, we have our history, and we can talk about it. But if we know someone's listening, we have to put the mask up. We have to be polite for a second. We have to feign civilization, which. Obviously, in the case of the the Mexican restaurant fails, you know, with obvious comic effect when the waiter shows up, sees that, you know, everyone's glaring bullets at each other. And is like, danger, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a really great point. <laughs> but yeah. We all need to look at our menus. <laughs> and just like, just yeah. <laughs> not even and a reach for the menu. <laughs> and it's interesting, of course, that, that Walt is the one who's who's instinctively concerned about putting a good story together. Like we can't just let the waiter sort of linger in awkward silence. We need to tell him something as silly as it is. Whereas, you know, Hank does not have that concern. He's perfectly content to just sit at the table and like glare. And is even the sillier is like, Oh, I need to come up with a story to cover why I'm doing this. Oh, the latch wasn't latching on the sofa. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, of course, that in an episode uh, almost entirely about revelations and confession about sharing things, like Walt still feels inclined to to lie to Skyler. Mm-hmm. Like we see at the beginning of that scene, like he's, you know, his car screeches to a halt. He sprints up to the door, then he pauses, visibly catches his breath, tries to cool out, and then walks in and plays, plays casual. I'm not sure to what extent Skyler buys it, but pretends like, Oh yeah, yeah. Just gonna, just gonna check on the soda machine. Pull out this uh, this nearly frozen revolver. Uh, yep, yep, uh, oh, I'm gonna go get a get a prescription from the uh, from the place. Yeah, yeah. Important yeah. question: Will the gun work afterwards? Uh, I don't know anything about guns. Oh, but... <laughs> oh no, I, I think it will. Well, I mean, they could make it not work if they wanted to. They would have enough reason to make the gun not work if they wanted to. But I was reading up on some message boards earlier today, and people were confirming that yeah, it's pretty likely that the gun would still function. Um, which nice is, you know, I'm good that people are just right on that. Just want to make sure that, you know, <laughs> if I were to, but one of the things they did dispute was that if the gun were in that portion of a soda machine, that it would necessarily get that cold. Um, because that part of the soda machine might not be in the refrigeration unit, <laughs> it might be just dusty and hot. Um, so there were some people who dispute, oh, I've kept things in that part of a soda machine and they, they've just gotten dusty. 
which is what I thought the gun was at first. But yeah. I pulled so many guns out of soda machines. Yeah. <laughs> oh, let me tell you. There was this one time, it was like Burt Reynolds jumping out of a helicopter, right? <laughs> it was spectacular. So it's not quite the same. It's not quite the same. It's not quite the same thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, oh, oh so um, I'm one, one cool moment, talking about sort of like um, like hostile places and things coming apart, is, the, is when, when Hank and Marie are talking about, uh, Hank finds out about one, one big railroad spike you know, that's been that's been invisible to Hank at this point is that Walton Schuyler paid for his medical bills while he was yeah. getting rehabilitation for his spinal injury or what have you, his inability to walk, um, which, of course, it was interesting to notice was really pronounced early in the episode. Like he was limping a ton. Right. Which which early in the episode after he talked to Jesse and was kind of defeated by that, which to me was another reference to these events from the past that were sort of stepping forward and recontextualizing our current narrative, sort of impressing themselves upon what's currently happening. But, you know, Hank finds out from Marie that Walt's been paying his medical bills. One of the really interesting things I thought about that scene, and I mean, we could talk about that scene in general or, or Hank and Marie in general, was when Marie goes to tell Hank, she sits down in this brown chair. Right. And sort of and Marie's whole shtick is that everything is purple. Yes. Right. And so and so she goes to sit in this brown chair and you sort of see that there's almost like a line of demarcation across their their uh, living room and everything to actually I should do it this way, because when I look at, in uh, in Google Hangouts, they they reverse it. But it's like every everything this way from the chair is uh, is purple. Right. Like Marie is sitting on the brown side of the room. And yes. everything else in the room is purple, which is Marie's power color. And and so it really sort of saps a lot of the um, the, the power and, and personality and energy out of Marie, or at least like shows you that it's been sapped out. Yeah. And interestingly enough, later, Gomi... Oh, and also... Um, sorry. No, go for it. I, I was going to say, interestingly, later... Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, um, Pete. It's okay. It's, it's the lag. It's all right. It's all good. We just we got to get that APM up. We got to be able to harvest those minerals. Um, it's, uh, is that Gomi is wearing purple when he comes to tell, talk to Hank and when Hank refuses to, to let him in, you know, let him know what's going on. Hank is wearing a much more neutral color. And so in that case, Gomi could have been part of the thing that could have been helpful for them, but wasn't. Anyway, Shana, uh, jump right in. Uh, sorry to, to. Oh, no problem. Rattle. Um, and I also wanted to point out in the Mexican restaurant scene, um, you have Hank and Maria on one side wearing the dark gloomy sort of blues and blacks and indigos um and on the other side you have walt and skylar wearing the browns and beiges so i guess that sort of uh her going on the brown side is suggesting i guess that she's been defeated by by the brown side and then i guess hank has also been defeated by the next day unfortunately i was yeah and that scene i was paying less attention to the colors so i mean good on you guys for catching that i was paying attention a little more to uh, Walt's sartorial choices in that, and this is very prominent in that, you know, right after Hank drops the line of, you know, be a man and, you know, confess to this, this awful crime that you've done, et cetera. Uh, that, that's when Walt gets up and pushes over the, the video and leaves. But as we do, he, we see what he's wearing. And it's this very, it's this very old manish like, you know, zip up hoodie and like these pants hiked up to his waist. So in other words, like the, the least, the least manly outfit one could conceive of. I mean, it's, it's pretty typical for what, for what Walt wears, I suppose, but it's, uh, it, you know, if, if I wanted to yell, be a man at someone and be particularly ironic about it, that's what they should be wearing. Like the least, <laughs> the least masculine, the, the most dehumanizing. And of course that's, 
that's the false reveal in that scene that Walt is acting defeated. He's acting like, well, all right, here's, here's my confession. Here it is. I'm just going to, which is, which is interesting because in the first episode of the half season, the beige that they were wearing uh, felt like it meant that there had been a really sincere and true change in their characters. Right. Like, I mean, it all, it all harkens back to season one where they go to Walt's party and it's like, oh, do we not get the beige memo? Like everybody was wearing beige <laughs> except for Walton's. Uh, was it except for Hank and Marie or except for Walton Schuyler? I, I, whatever. I think it was Walton Schuyler. And so, yeah. And then like, or except Walt. And so, uh, but now they're wearing beige, which is to show that they've sort of become, you know, middle-class tapioca members of society. Um, and, 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 uh, and here that is shown to be so, so much of an act, so much, so much of a, of a, of a mask. Whereas then it felt a little bit more, you know, sincere just a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so two more things real quick. I definitely uh, noticed the cardigan. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to keep jumping in there. Just keep button mashing. I know if there's lagging, but make sure you keep getting in there. because we. we... <laughs> I'm very good at button mashing. There you go. That's my thing. So, so um, yeah, I definitely noticed the cardigan as well. Oh, no. No, go, 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 John. go, 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 go. Cardigan, go. Dana, you keep going. That that train is already is already well down the track. It's left the station. The pickup truck is the pickup truck is Cardigan. So while the pickup truck is held off, you go. You go. I I, um, I noticed the cardigan. As I said, um, I wrote down in my notebook uh, that Turtleneck and Cardigan could be their new album title because uh, Skylar's also wearing that, that wonderful turtleneck. Um, and I was going somewhere with... Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, in the meeting... They, I, I think they chose those outfits really purposefully, and by they I mean Skylar and Walt, because their um, way of arguing is, oh, that's all in the past. We're new people now. We're regular members of society, as you just said. So I think it was a, an interesting way that um, Hank turned that around, as you said, John, um, it, to make it from we're normal people to you're not a man, so... Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean Hank. Hank refuses to like. It's it's amazing he even showed up. Like it's amazing he didn't flip the table in that scene. Like he refuses to he refuses to fake it at this point until he's sort of forced to. So uh, two more points about the, the the video confession and the watching of sort of is the midpoint of the episode because I th- I think things sort of pivot there. One uh, to your point, Pete about. Uh, about the when Marie, you know, reveals that, that, you know, they've paid for his his medical benefits and he sort of has the strength sapped out of him. Uh, first, she's sitting. And then I think it's almost literally on the line, you know, paid for the treatment so that, you know, I was scared you wouldn't be able to walk again or something like that. Something like I mean, like the word, you know, able to walk again is, is key to that phrase. Literally after she says that uh, Hank sinks to, you know, sinks to the table like he's sitting on the table like he's after she says that after she exposes what was the source of that treatment, he is unable to walk. He is unable to stand. So like that, that you know, that, that power is sort of sapped out of him. And, uh, and there's that, you know, there's that scene he has with, with Gomez later in the episode where Gomez storms into his office and he's sort of hunched behind his desk, you know, unable to get up until Gomez leaves because, you know, when he's, you know, Hank's having a lot of props knocked out from under him. He's losing a lot of his power. Like he he tries to you know he tries to get Jesse on his side, but then then Saul shows up, so he sort of has to limp out of there in defeat. You know the confession sort of takes the legs out from under him, and then you know he has to sneak out of the office once Gomez is gone. So there's that. He's losing a lot of strength. He's losing his ability to move freely, to walk. 
as it were. And you'll remember also, um, I think, if I'm recalling correctly, um, one of the ways he got the energy to get up and walk and to, you know, go back to work was that he wanted to get Heisenberg. Mm -hmm. um, so it was that impetus uh, to get him up, really, as you were saying. And now that it's not there anymore, he doesn't have it. Um, and it certainly connects to Breaking Bad's theme at large of if you don't have a way to get out your energy, whether that's through... Uh, making drugs or, I don't know, trying to be a great detective, your body shuts down, literally. So, yeah, right. that's a <laughs> nice connection. Yeah. Did, and you, the, did you say something about that in, that, in this episode? Or, um, I'm trying to think if there was a line that even talked about that phenomenon, like the phenomenon of having a, a useful way of getting out energy. Anyway, John, no, jump in. No, it's fine. Uh, the, the second thing that came up in that scene is, um, like, like, Talking about the talking about the episode overall and its theme of the false reveal, and I guess the other question of whether the false reveal works or not. Uh, that's the midpoint. It, it's roughly the midpoint of the episode, I think, and that's also sort of the turning point of whether or not the false reveal works. Because we have that scene, and it's you know that we've we've largely been following Walt and Skyler up to that point in the episode, and we see them recording the tape, and then we watch and then we watch them or we watch Hank and Marie watching the video. And so there's a sense in which like a ball is sort of being handed off to, uh, to Hank and Marie, because when the, when the video ends the scene lingers with them. So the video itself, while we're watching it, there's a, we parallel a lot. We jump back and forth between Walt's obviously fake anguish that he's recording and the real anguish that Hank is going through. Like Hank is very visibly like he's sweating. He's like chewing his lip. He's, snarling to himself he's like looking back and forth kind of shifty like uh and walt is doing is doing similar things like he's you know he's touching his face he's faking tears and things like that but you know uh, there's an obvious parallel we're meant to see there in walt it's fake and hank it's real uh, and from that point on in the episode the tactic of the false reveal doesn't work quite as well uh like you know Walt tries it on Jesse in the desert and Jesse sees through him. He's like, you know, can you stop working me for once for like 10 seconds? Can you stop trying to work me? Uh, you know, Saul tries to get Jesse out of his office. Like, yeah, no, I'm just, you know, I'm just looking out for you. You know, why can't you take, you know, you know, you've got, you've got a problem with taking good advice or that's not the exact line, but something like that. Uh, and then that's, that's sort of a false reveal because, you know, Jesse immediately comes back and sees and sees through that confession. Uh, there's Walt trying to play off his panic when he goes to get his gun out of the soda machine, and I think Skyler sees through that as well. So there's the idea of, of false vulnerability, the false reveal that carries us for the first half of the episode and then starts falling apart uh, once once Walt discharges that one successful shot across the bow. Yeah. I think a related phenomenon that also jumps up in the scene where Walt is talking to Jesse and which appears again later uh, or maybe it was, I think it was, I think it might have been even earlier. No, maybe it was later. Um, was, uh, was Walt, so there's a lot of irony in the moment where Walt is telling Jesse, you need to go away for your own good, right? Yeah. Like, because so just, well, because there's two, there's two levels of irony there. The one is that Walt is saying, you need to go away for your own good, when really he's saying, you need to go away for my own good. And, <laughs> yeah. and so there's, there's that irony. And then there's the irony that we know the situational irony, which is that Walt is going to go away. Right. Yeah. Like that, that he, Walt yeah. is telling Jesse, 
you need to go away. But we all know that it's Walt who goes away. Walt's the one who's moving to New Hampshire, and he's going to have to do it relatively soon because there's only five episodes left, right? So it's like, so Walt, so Walt is is in the way that we're sort of trying to be very malleable with events and histories and things that happen in the past and future. And as much as Walt wants to sort of exert this total control over the way that people understand the realities, even the sense of like, this will all be a bad dream, right? This this idea that all this is a dream, which it sort of is because it's a TV show, right? Like it's like the TV show will be over. And at that point it will just be a series of memories and, and, and things that didn't really happen to you. I thought that was a little bit of a meta moment. Um, The other one that really struck me that was similar. And this is a little bit, this is really dark was when Marie told Walt to kill himself. Right. And it's yeah. like, you should kill yourself. And it's like, it's, it's, and it's not necessarily that it would be good for you. <laughs> <laughs> it would be good for me. It would be really good for me if you were to kill yourself. Uh, but by the way, I'm not in the cold open <laughs> from the beginning of this season. Right. Like, it's like, I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that Walt and Marie are going to kill themselves, but it's maybe it's possible. There's definitely been like bits of foreshadowing throughout the series of like cops killing themselves. Like, like Mike is watching a cop show at one point and the cop talks about killing himself. There's a point in which uh, Walt is in Hank's office and Hank jokingly shoots himself in the head. Like there's little bits and pieces. And um, Vince Gilligan does this a lot where he throws in a lot of like potential foreshadowing for things that don't happen. Uh, yeah, just yeah. to sort of raise suspense, like when when Skylar is is um is in is she because she's in gray for in beige for most of this episode, but there's the one scene where she's in white and she's sort of sitting stock still in white. And for me, this like oh, this is foreshadowing that Skylar is dead or dying, right, or that she's going to be dead and that she's like dressed in this way. Well, um, it's also very much that particular scene is also very much a parallel between her very much well lit. And when Walt comes in and says, "Oh, I've got my chemo appointment," and he sna- he like gets Skylar's attention, and says, "Like, hey, you know, it's it's good, it's over, we've won," he's completely in shadow at that point. He's indistinguishable. He's like a silhouette, barely lit by the light behind him. So he's he's completely in shadow. Skylar is partly in shadow while looking at him, and then completely in light when she turns away. Yeah, I mean, the effect, the net effect, is similar to when Skylar is in the pool. And yes. you sort of see Hank, uh, you see Walt through the, the shimmering surface of the water. Uh, and she sort of does, can't, doesn't even really, doesn't want to see him, but can't help but see him even in this situation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's, um, people, people feel like events give them power. And you've been talking a lot about false reveals and this idea that I'm going to selectively reveal information, some of which is true, some of which isn't, in a way that gives me power over you. Um, but there were definitely biting moments of irony in this episode that were saying, like, you're not always going to get to control which events happen to you and which events happen to somebody else. And if you seem really possessed with talking about a certain kind of event, like maybe, it, maybe you're the one that it happens to or happened to. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's uh, I just, I keep coming back to Todd and I keep coming back to how happy Todd was to talk about <laughs> robbing the train. Yeah. <laughs> and like that how much con- the conversation Todd has on the phone at the beginning of the episode was just, so perfect because like that's that's the conversation like a 22 year old has when he's like calling out of work for the weekend or something like that like it's just the perfect lack of, lack of affect like yeah me and Declan we had a, a disagreement things got I mean things got kind of messy but you know it's it's over now so you know whatever uh, I mean, there's another false reveal right there so uh, so yeah you can call me if you want but you don't have to it's cool all right bye yeah. So, no, Shayna, we've, we've dumped a lot out of here. I don't want you to be scared by your lags to jump into the conversation. 
Are you inspired at all to, to contribute? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll <laughs> run in there. I mean, we, we have, uh, well, actually, maybe a good false confession is, um, <laughs> is uh, Walt finally, after how many seasons, hugging Jesse. But it comes in such a terrible way. Um, he's like, oh, I love you like a father. Except, oh, I don't. I'm just using you. It, I, that must have been the worst moment in the series for me. It was just, it was just brutal. Um, so where was I going with that? I don't know. That's, that's what a, I got. That, that was another false. Well, I mean, because there is the question in that moment of whether or to what degree Walt actually is feeling something for Jesse in that situation. Uh, I mean, it's entirely possible that he's just totally BSing him, right? And he's just still manipulating him. And but you, but there's a lot of control in Brian Cranston's face when you focus on him. He doesn't quite betray that yeah. he's like he hates Jesse or wants him to die or whatever. He sort of like holds on with just that little bit, just gives that little hint that he this might be all part of some sort of act. I mean, yeah. not, not part of an act, but like it might be entirely an act versus like partially not an act. My my thought about it was um, while I was watching the episode, and then um, on Amanda Marcotte's uh, blog, she said something very, or I guess it's not a blog uh, on Pandagon. She said something very similar that it seemed like an abuser gaslighting a victim, and that was sort of the hug was sort of a moment of, oh, oh baby, you know I love you. Um, <laughs> that's such a typical abuser response. Mm-mm-mm. So yeah. in that case, like maybe maybe he felt it a little bit, but it was it, for me it was more ma- manipulation than anything. Yeah, he, he felt it to the extent he needed to in order to get the emotional result he wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he didn't like. Yeah, that's a really actually, good way of putting it. Actually, in his soul feel, because I mean Jesse, I mean Jesse doesn't have any false reveals in this episode. He's pure naked vulnerability. Like he tells Walt in no explicit terms the thing Walt needs to say to get him to trust to get him to trust him. It's like, just, just tell me, just ask me to do this as a favor. Just tell me that you need me. And like, you know, tears streaming down his face, voice cracking. And like Walt's response is to hug him, which is a good feigning of a close, a close emotional response. Or maybe it's, or maybe it's legit emotion. I don't know, but he doesn't actually say the thing that Jesse was pleading with him to say, like he can't, he can't give Jesse that much. Yeah. And I mean, it's even to the point where, if even if Walter is sincere in hugging Jesse, the 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 way we've gotten to this point, like all the things that have happened to take us to this moment where he's hugging him, you know, like what is sincere for him in this situation is probably the continuation of their abusive relationship. Oh yeah, I, I, totally. Like, like I totally buy into what you know what Shane is talking about, what Amanda Marcotte's talking about. That at this point, like that's the thing that Walt is is you know he's. That's what he feels is, is, is this compulsion to continue. I mean, he didn't even have to get Jesse back involved in this in the first place. Ruby had that chance really at the beginning of this half season to not, to not say to Jesse, I need you to believe that I didn't kill Mike. Right. Like that when he sits down with Jesse and is like, and, and he could have just left. He just, he just said, Hey, you know, don't do the thing, whatever. I'm, 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 I'm checking out peace, but he's like, no, I need you to believe a thing that you very clearly think is not true. <laughs> right and like and i need to drag you back into this because th- at this point you know he's been enabled so much 
right? Like, you know, he's, he's been so enabled in doing this to Jesse that it's even he can't get out of the cycle of it. Not that he would even want to, and not that I have pity for him for it, but it's, it's, it's weird to talk about it being sincere or insincere is what I'm saying. And that's sort of what I felt when I was seeing it. Um, but because the usual advantages, um, sort of judgmental advantages that one would have for being sincere, like, I don't think he would earn them even if he really meant what he was yeah. doing. Um, I mean, you're right. Sincere or insincere is kind of a, it's almost, it's almost secondary at this point, like to the point about, you know, Jesse and whether he knows the timetable of, of the rice and cigarette and the poisoning or not, like sincerity is almost a, the truth is almost a secondary consideration at this point. It's what do you believe to have happened and what will that, what actions will you take as a result? Yeah. One uh, moment that was, that was really informed by that is when Marie asked Skylar if, if the affair ever happened. Right. Right. Which, is... which, which we know it did, but like, what reason does Marie have to believe it did? Like yeah. that could, that could be, that could be equally garbage. And it's like, well, yeah, the affair happened, but a whole lot of stuff also happened after that. And that's why he's <laughs> in the hospital. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah. yeah, that's, that's one of the things that happened. Oh man, definitely. And so, yeah. And so heading into the end of the episode, we have, you know, Jesse vengeant, Jesse enraged, you yeah. know, Jesse on the war path. Uh, pouring gasoline all over Walt's house. I mean, like as we're wrapping this broadcast up to a close, like what do you guys think about that? That 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 uh, that you know, end of this episode uh, kind of ends on kind of a crescendo, to say the yeah. least. I mean, we know we know from a year in the future that the house is cl- still still clearly intact, so it doesn't burn to the ground. Other than that, mm. yeah, Chana. Uh, that punch of Saul was very cathartic, and I didn't think it could go up from there, but him with the gasoline, that was, that was a great moment, even though, yeah, I knew that it, he's not going to light it on fire because the house remains. But maybe it's sort of a metaphor um, or a symbolic action. He is going to destroy Walt's household. And I think the next episode, what's going to happen, or I hope happens, is Walt Jr. walks in the door. Um, and that's the moment that the actual reveal is revealed. And that's the moment the house symbolically falls apart. There is that. Or is, uh, yeah, because it's, no, sorry. I, 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 I I couldn't tell for a second. Uh, it is, it is very much, it's, it's almost like to the point where it doesn't matter if, hello, am I still here? Oh yeah, definitely. It's almost to the point where it doesn't matter if Jesse burns the house down or not, because like, even if he doesn't, how does Walt explain, like, oh, this punk kid broke into... My-. Like, you can't clean up that much gasoline before, you know, Flynn gets home. Like, it, <laughs> at, some, at some point, enough has been sort of forced into Revelation that, you know, any story Walt comes up with at this point is going to be a little phony. So, like, even if there's no fire, there is vulnerability. There is a strike at the heart, as it were. So something's got to come out. Yep. Somebody is uh, going to have to eat that breakfast. <laughs> but now but it's not going to be us right now because like all these ep- breaking bad episodes this season uh the the flammables have been spread and the match is yet to be struck so we will be waiting until next week's episode rabid dog to strike that match <laughs> what goes up in flames and what um manages to stick around in order to take spray paint um but yeah all that remains for this episode is for me to thank the panel thank you so much john really appreciate it absolutely and a thank you, Shana. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Pete. And thank you, John, as well. And 
thank you to everyone, including the audience, for putting up with my lag. I'm oh, sorry. I'm I can so tell sorry. that you're self-conscious about it, but don't be, you know, like they don't know, except when I point it out. So I should stop pointing it out too. If the just, always, just speak just speak really contemplatively and in a way that you don't care if you interrupt people. So that was a actually what I think is this, because you're coming in the middle of someone else's oh. Yeah. Well, we're, we're giving, like Saul said, you know, this is free. We're in a beggar's choosers situation. Right? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and if you want more more free things, such as free discussions of the Breaking Bad episode, free podcasts and articles, free uh, awesome banner ads, <laughs> things that we have on our website, uh, please. Nice segue. Nice segue, exactly. Why don't you come visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny, it probably, probably doesn't. It probably, deserve. I'm lagging, doesn't, 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 deserve, deserve, deserve. Uh, yeah, I'm, that's, that's it. <laughs> My name is John Parrish. I live at Boulevard Terrace in Alston, Massachusetts. Uh, for the last year, I've been recording podcasts at the behest of my friend, Matthew Rather. Uh, I, he coerced God me <laughs> into recording podcasts uh, in order to support his his growing uh, his growing entertainment empire. Uh, after I after the diagnosis that I had cancer. 